if you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. I saw that you were going to make a video about malls, and I remembered a story that my mom actually told me many years ago. This was something that happened directly to her, and she talked about it often enough with friends and family. Everyone's retelling was the exact same way that my mom would explain it, and she's really not the type to dramatize things, so I absolutely believe it. So, here it goes. I am the second oldest kid in my house, and this took place about six to eight months after my mom had me, so yes, I was still a baby. She was a stay-at-home mom for most of my childhood, until she got a part-time job to give her something to do while we were all in school. But when I was born, my older brother was already in all-day kindergarten, so it would just be us during the day. One of those days, my mom wanted to get out of the house, and what could be better than a small shopping spree for some new clothes after having a baby? So, she bundled me up, packed the stroller in the car, and headed out to the mall for some retail therapy. When she arrived, everything was going as planned, and she had already stopped at a few stores. After a couple hours, she said that I started getting fussy, so she went to the food court to get herself something to eat, and to feed me in the process. She pulled the stroller close to her so that we were facing each other, as she relaxed and fed us both. While sitting there, she was looking around the court, and she noticed a woman sitting a few tables away with her eyes locked on us. She said that she had seen people staring at her before, especially while she fed me, so she ignored it at first, but then as she scanned the area, she would find herself going back to look at this woman, and she was still staring at us. But it was her expression that really caught her off guard. While her gaze was undoubtedly on us, she said that her expression seemed blank and devoid of any emotion. At first, even though the gaze itself was pretty odd, she tried to let it go thinking maybe she just wasn't all there or was just innocently staring off. She finished eating and throughout would glance at the woman as she continued to stare at us. Being who she was, my mother tried to show kindness to the woman by smiling at her. She described her as an older woman. Her skin appeared smooth from a distance, but she had deep wrinkles in her forehead and around her mouth. She had stringy, shoulder-length hair, that looked like it needed to be washed and brushed. She thought maybe she needed someone to show her kindness, and it seemed to relieve some of the discomfort. When the woman's eyes brightened and she smiled back. With any uneasy feelings now diminished, my mom packed up to leave the food court and finish her shopping trip. She said that as she walked around the outer square, she kept getting that feeling like she was being watched. 
She stopped in a children's clothing store, and when the feeling wouldn't dissipate, she looked around. That's when she spotted that same woman from the food court. She quickly looked away from her, pretending that she was looking for something specific, but it was too late. The woman had approached my mom smiling and just complimented me, saying how cute I was. She thanked her, and they both awkwardly stood there for a few moments, until the woman also complimented my mom, saying that she looked great for just having a kid. Again, she thanked her, and as the woman continued smiling and not moving, she wished her a good day and walked away to complete her purchase. As she walked toward the checkout counter, the woman followed her, and when she parked the stroller next to her as she was checking out, the woman was right there, smiling at me, cooing, and then trying to touch me. My mom was a little less overbearing with me as she was with my brother, her first child, as in she was typically okay with people touching my hands or feet or just wanting to hold me even though she wouldn't let strangers hold me, of course. But she said that she started feeling uncomfortable with how involved the woman was with getting with me. So, once she was finished, she quickly made her way out of the store, hoping to soon lose sight of the woman or vice versa. However, it wouldn't go the way that she wanted because she spotted the woman following close behind, She explained to me how she felt like something bad was about to happen, and she really didn't know what to do. This was a long time ago, so she didn't have a cell phone at the time. The only thing she could do was to either find somewhere that she would feel safe, or to try to leave. However, where she was located in the mall was on the opposite side of where she'd parked. At that point, she just wanted to leave, so she picked up her pace pushing along the stroller and actively trying to keep an eye on this woman. As infants do, though, I apparently started crying and would not let up, so my mom tried to pull me out to hold me while steering the stroller one-handed. This, of course, slowed her down some, and the woman once again approached her. At first, she acted like she was trying to be helpful, commenting that I was upset and offering to help. My mom declined telling her thanks, but no thanks. But the woman was adamant. She offered to hold me so that my mom could rest, and she said that she didn't mean to, but she kind of laughed as she again said, no thank you. It was one of those nervous laughs you do when someone asks you or tells you something shocking, so this seemed warranted. Why would anyone just hand over their infant to some random stranger Apparently, this woman didn't appreciate that, though, as her previous demeanor changed and her eyes went back to the ones she initially saw in the food court. They were dark and nearly glazed over, as she began spewing a barrage of comments and questions at my mother. She asked her if she even knew the father. My parents are still together. She said that I didn't look a thing like her. I'm actually a spinning image of my mother now and even questioned if I was even her real baby. My mom is still walking at this point, and not responding to the woman, now slightly offended, and still very much worried about her sudden change. Finally, my mom snapped, 
and yelled at this woman to leave her alone. The woman seemed surprised that she spoke up and quit moving, so she took advantage of this to put me back in the stroller so that she could get out of there quicker. But the woman didn't stay silent for very long. She immediately started shouting, She stole my baby! My mom quickly turned around to confirm what she already knew. This woman was now pointing at her, making a huge scene and accusing my mom of having kidnapped me. My mom was horrified. As the woman ran towards her, she once again grabbed me to hold me tight, fearing that she would try to take me, or that someone else would, believing this old woman's story. As more and more people began looking around, my mom left the stroller behind and ran with me into a nearby store, asking someone to call for help. They were all starting to look out into the walkway to see what was happening, and she said that someone already looked suspicious of her. Right then, she told me that she feared people would not believe her. She told me how one of the ladies working there agreed to call 911, but demanded that she stay where she was. This again confirming her fears that they may not believe her. While the woman was on the phone, the crazy lady caught up and ran into the store that my mom was in, screaming to give her the baby. But she was now holding what looked like a large kitchen knife, and she was swinging it at anyone that got close to her. My mom was terrified that she may actually hurt someone that worked there, or me. So she just squeezed herself into the back corner, trying to make herself as small as possible, as she wrapped herself around me to protect me. Thankfully, the knife-wielding didn't last long as one of the mall security guys got there and practically wrestled it away from her. She was held nearby but out of the store until police arrived. My mom can joke about it now, but I can still see her get choked up a bit when she talks about this part. She really told me how afraid she was waiting for the police to arrive. She didn't know how she was going to be able to prove to them that I was her baby. She had the stroller with our belongings in it, but she feared that they would think that she just took off with me, leaving the stroller behind. She didn't have any identification for me, just her own ID in her purse. She asked to use the phone at the store to call my dad, hoping that he would be able to get my birth certificate or some newborn photos, anything to help prove her case. While she was able to call him, thankfully she ended up not needing anything other than her ID. When the police arrived, they took statements from a few people nearby, including my mom, and they asked her if either of us was hurt or needed medical attention, and she said no so they basically told her that we could leave. She was confused by this, remembering how she was happy they believed her, but also concerned that they didn't do much to check. What if it played out the same way, but they believed the old woman instead? But the police assured her and explained why they believed her. Apparently, this woman was actually known to them. She had issues with substance abuse, and she had a few kids herself. However, they'd all been taken away by the state because of neglect and abuse. She'd been using so long that she now seemed to be paranoid, 
and accused everyone she saw that had young children of stealing her kids. This wasn't the first time that she had done this to someone, just the first time in this mall, apparently. She was also only in her 30s, but my mom said that she looked much older. My mom said that she left there feeling relieved, but also remorseful for the girl. She, thankfully, never saw or heard from her again, but she also wouldn't go to the mall alone anymore, and that was the same reason that she wouldn't let any of us kids go alone or with friends either. We always had to have an adult with us. Like I said, we joke about how I was almost kidnapped or how I was a stolen baby, but I can't imagine how anyone would handle that situation, and I hope that I never do, either. Back when I was in elementary school, for a little while, things were kind of awful, to be completely honest with you. For most people, those days are just fun and learning, making new friends and enjoying being a kid. Unfortunately, my elementary school career, I guess you could say, was marred by one boy, Jake. Jake was a towering figure, at least when I was nine. He was ten, but was in the same grade as me, and he was fairly well known on the playground as the biggest bully ever. I feel like all schools have that kind of legend. A bully that pushes everyone around, but for some reason no one wants to do anything about them. Jake was, as I mentioned, ten, in a class of nine-year-olds. You can assume why. He'd been in trouble randomly here and there, but for the most part, the adults just turned a blind eye to him. He would push someone down, make them cry, do anything to cause other kids pain, and it would always be just an accident. And they would just ignore him. Most days, I did everything I could to remain invisible to Jake. He was like a T-Rex. If Jake didn't see you, he wouldn't target you. But unfortunately, my luck didn't hold, and my card was pulled. He would follow me into the bathrooms and make fun of me, punch the doors and the stalls, throw his threats at me while staring at me through the crack in the door. He once yanked my backpack so hard that he almost dislocated my shoulder. One time when we were going out to recess, I was running out the door and he shoved his foot out to trip me, making me slam face first into the concrete, giving me a major scrape on my face and breaking one of my teeth. Thankfully, it was a baby tooth, so it wasn't a permanent break. But then, then something changed. There was a new kid named Tim that joined our class. I remember Tim as being an incredibly charismatic kid and on his first day, he told me that he loved my t-shirt. It was Spider-Man. It was my favorite shirt. I was kind of starstruck when this new kid gave me a compliment. Look, I was a simple kid. Tim was also ten, and was somewhere in the middle of my size and Jake's size, and we became pretty good friends pretty fast. 
Because I had a friend around me more, I think Jake was a bit hesitant to do anything for the most part. Until the day where things came to a head. It was recess time, and after the whole incident with me landing on my face, I had made it a point to exit the building slowly and pay attention to my surroundings, to make sure that he couldn't get to me. But Jake was a predator, and he was watching me like a hawk that had spotted a tiny field mouse minding its own business. He caught me, cornered me, and based on his face, I honestly thought I was going to get a beatdown. At some point in my getting cornered, Tim must have seen what was going on, and he made the decision to intervene. He stepped up to Jake and shoved him off of me, telling him to leave me alone. Jake's face twisted into a snarl, and I watched him as he balled his fist up, and he held his stare on Tim. Tim started yelling at him about how stupid he was, how weak he was, insulting Jake to the point that I could see the tears starting to well up in his eyes. Tim kept going, kept talking smack on this other boy. I'm assuming that he thought that exploiting Jake's low self-confidence would get him to break, get him to walk away. I don't know why he thought this. I'm guessing he just assumed it would work. Some sort of reverse psychology. Bully the bully and the bully will stop, or something. Then he said something to the effect of, I bet your dad doesn't even love you. I don't think Tim expected what happened next. Jake, apparently, was not the type to take this kind of comment sitting down. He wasn't going to cower, and he wasn't going to take it. I watched as Jake lunged at Tim, his face bright red. He attacked him with a ferocity that I had never seen. His fists were pummeling Tim repeatedly as he tried to defend himself. At this point, I was no longer scared for my own safety. I was scared for my friend. Instinct finally took over. I turned around and I ran as fast as I could towards the door, where the teachers were huddled. I could feel myself crying thinking that if I didn't go fast enough, Jake was going to kill Tim. I interrupted the teachers that were talking about God knows what. I shouted at them, both of them jumping and looking in my direction asking what was going on. My words just stumbled out of my shaking body. Jake, it's him, fighting, help! The two teachers ran with me over to the side of the school where Jake was still pummeling Tim, all while sobbing. Tim looked horrible. His face was bloodied, he was curled up as best as he could, and Jake was standing over him with his chest heaving and his face soaking wet. The teacher screamed at him to stop, and in that moment, the madness just seemed to halt. Jake stood up straight and turned slowly to see me and the teacher standing there, watching him in horror. She went to grab Jake's arm and pull him away, and like clockwork, Jake tried to say something like, I didn't mean to hurt him. We, we were playing. Some BS lie that he really thought would work. It didn't. Tim was pretty messed up, groaning on the ground, bloodied, obviously in pain. They ended up calling an ambulance for him, and while he was pretty badly beaten, he survived. 
though he had a broken nose and major black eyes when he came back to school. The aftermath of all this was intensely stressful. They had to ask me what happened since I had reported it. I had to tell them about how Jake was going to beat me up, and then Tim stood up to him, and then how Jake just went absolutely feral on him. Jake ended up getting expelled from the school. I guess they couldn't ignore the fact that he had put a kid in the hospital with his bullying. Tim was suspended, and had to go through some kind of disciplinary thing, but he was allowed back in class. After that, Tim and I were the best of friends. I actually asked him why he'd stood up for me like that, when he knew Jake was going to attack him, and he laughed about it. He said that he didn't like watching me get beat up, and that he had imagined the whole thing going totally different, with him standing up like a hero and Jake cowering down and running away. The incident left one hell of a mark on me. It was a visual that I struggled to get out of my head. I'm glad that Tim was mostly alright, and that the school finally did something about the class bully. And I'm even more glad that I never saw Jake again. I've never been much of an adventurer. I prefer spending time indoors and reading books in my lounge chair. But my friend Mark has always had his ways of convincing me to join him on major hiking trips through a remote trail in the nearby woods. It was the middle of the summer. The sun was frying the earth, as it does, and he'd somehow talked me into going to the trail and spending a few hours outside. I'm sweating my back end off while, quote-unquote, enjoying nature. We set out early, loaded up with supplies and water. The trail was rough and challenging, and in spite of my initial protest, I decided that I had made the right choice. And we were enjoying our time. Laughing, joking, just overall in high spirits. There were a few other people on the trail and he would pause and take some advice on which direction to go from other hikers, and they all had suggestions. We decided that we would go a bit further in and take a hike through to a path that one of the older gentlemen we ran into had recommended. As we pressed on, heading up to where the trail the guy had mentioned should be, the trail seemed to grow a bit... I guess wilder... The trees were a bit taller than before, making the path a bit darker, even though it was only about noon. We kept on, but then realized that we had no idea where on the path that we were. Mark was really good at remembering markers on trails, remembering which paths headed to where, but even he had stopped and looked around like he was lost. It was a neat area, but it was starting to feel a bit chilling. Like, something was off. Around early afternoon, we stumbled upon a clearing in the thick trees. Mark was excited, despite not knowing exactly where we were, because an opening typically meant people, and we could get this all sorted out and get going back in the correct direction. His excitement broke pretty quickly when we walked out into the clearing, 
and the only thing we'd found was an old and weathered cabin. It was pretty clearly abandoned, windows shattered, a hole in the ceiling, a door wide open, and the wall was tagged with spray paint. I don't know who Squirt was, but he was there if anyone cares. After walking around the outside, Mark made a comment like, We should check out the inside. I immediately said no, and stated that that was how horror movies started. He waved me off, saying that it was the middle of the afternoon, and that no psycho killer ever got started at 1.30pm. I guess that was solid logic, because I decided giving it a quick look over wouldn't hurt. Thankfully, it was a pretty small cabin, and I knew that it wouldn't take too long to get through the entire building really quickly, and to get out. The inside was a huge mess. Broken furniture, rotting food, and a foul smell that made me gag. But what really caught our attention was a bunch of photographs pinned to the wall. Now, everything inside this place was awful, trashed, destroyed even. But these photos were clean. They all looked like they were all wiped down and cleaned, like someone had been keeping them there for whatever reason. These were pictures of seemingly random people. They all looked like hikers and bikers on the trail. Obviously, I didn't know any of these people, but I could tell that they were people on the trail based on how they were dressed, and the fact that they were all taken on the trail that we'd walked. Worse yet, they all looked like candid shots. No one looked like they knew their pictures were being taken. A chill ran down my spine. Why had someone been keeping photographs of hikers pinned to the wall of an old abandoned cabin in the middle of the woods? I glanced over at Mark and his face was pale. I asked if he was okay, and he motioned toward one of the photos. It was a photo of him. He told me that he had hiked a trail over this way, not this specific trail, but some of the nearby ones, about two weeks prior, and the photo would have had to have been taken then. So not only were these clean, but they were pretty damn recent. He was visibly freaking out, and said that we should get out of there. I immediately agreed. We left the cabin, Mark looking like he was about to throw up, and started back off towards the nearby trail. But as we started to walk away, I noticed something else. A man, standing on the edge of the clearing and watching us. He was wearing all black, just standing there and watching. He was pretty far away, so honestly it could have been a mannequin or a scarecrow or something, but I'm pretty certain that this was a person that was watching us mostly because I didn't recall it being there when we first got to the cabin. I motioned slightly toward the man, mentioning him to Mark, trying not to make it too obvious that I saw him. Mark said that he saw him too, and that we needed to run when we got to the trail just in case. Which we did. We got to the trail and we bolted in the direction that he thought was the correct one. The whole time we were jogging down the path, I was thinking about that cabin... And the guy, like, what the hell was all of that? 
Thankfully, the path that we took was the right direction, and we got to one of the main paths, the one with the markers that were indicated on the map. We kept going and got to the car, and Mark looked like he was about to pass out. I asked him what that was, if this was some kind of prank or something, and Mark just shook his head saying that he didn't know. I asked him if we should call the cops, and he just said, Uh, yeah. Creepy cabin in the woods with photographs of random people being watched by a creepy man in black? Yeah, we should tell the police before someone goes missing and ends up buried behind the cabin. So, the police were notified. We told them what we saw and explained where it was. They told us that they would investigate, but also chastised us for going off the path and technically breaking and entering. Obviously, we never heard anything back from them, and the whole thing remained a mystery for us. Mark and I never spoke about that place again, and when we went hiking, we went clear in the opposite direction of that cabin, not wanting to even think about it. Of course, I do still think about it, and I'm still curious, but honestly, it feels like we stumbled upon something that we were not supposed to. The summer immediately following high school graduation, my friends and I were a bit restless. Some of us were waiting to go on out to college, some of us were trying to get work here at home, but all of us were in that in-between where our childhoods had officially ended, and our adult lives hadn't yet actually started. It was one of those we literally have our whole lives ahead of us situations. And one of my friends, Curtis, suggested that we should go on an adventure. Curious, we asked what he meant. And he mentioned that we should go to a somewhat close national park, don't want to mention which one for privacy, and we should bike through it. His brother, a guy we all knew was a huge fitness buff, had told him about a dense and mostly unexplored biking path that was, in his words, breathtaking. And the more that he told us about it, the more we all seemed pretty well sold on it. A week later, we had all packed up our gear, told our parents about the trip, gotten the whole you-be-careful-out-there-and-call-the-minute-anything-goes-wrong speech, and then met up to get the hell out of Dodge. It was just the four of us, Curtis, myself, Shelly, and Josh. We were all super close throughout school, and we had each other's backs, so we were all looking forward to whatever adventure awaited us. We got there, and let me tell you, the forest greeted us with open arms. The first day was exhilarating. We all biked around, got that quick rush of adrenaline, that hits whenever you go way too fast down dirt paths. We were all loving every second of this trip, realizing how amazing of an idea this really was. We were the kings, and the queen, of the trails. Young and invincible. As we ventured on, the woods had obviously started hitting that point where it was denser, the path was getting a bit more rugged, and the air was getting thick. 
we slowed down a bit on this part of the trails, mostly to take it all in. And two words that I want to use to describe it are beautiful, yet foreboding. Then, something happened. Curtis was up ahead and he signaled for all of us to stop, and then yelled back, Hey, hold up. He stopped near an area that was pretty heavy with brush, and we all got to him and asked what was going on. He motioned towards the bushes. Sitting there in the brush was another bike. It looked a bit older, a bit rusted. There was something unsettling about it for whatever reason. It was just an old bike, but something about it made me feel off. Curtis got off his bike and walked over to lift it, saying, Huh, I wonder who ditched their bike. We all kind of looked around, trying to see if there was anyone there, but Curtis made the comment that the bike was starting to rust. So, it had likely been dumped there for a few days, and that there was no way the owner was still around. We kind of all agreed that he was probably correct, that the state of the bike was evidence that it wasn't recently used. I was still feeling a bit uneasy, but Curtis said that we should press on, the four of us got on our bikes, the other three started on, and I took up the rear. I started to pedal to get back to speed, but I paused when I heard what sounded like someone crying out. It was weak, but it was definitely the sound of someone or something in pain. I shouted for the others, and Shelley looked back, but I don't think the others heard me, and I thought they were going to keep going. So... I figured I should take the moment to figure out who or what it was that I'd heard. I headed toward the brush, pushed it aside, and started walking off the path. I remember asking, Hello? Is there someone out there? I expected not to get a response, to be proven that I was crazy, but to my surprise, I heard a very soft, Help me, please? I jumped into action running into the trees and looking for who this was. Then, I saw her. It was a young woman that wasn't much older than I was, but she looked... gaunt. She looked like she'd been out in the woods for a while. Pale, thin, and just looking like she was crawling that thin line between life and death. I will never forget the look that she gave me. The way her blue eyes looked like they were glossing over... I wasn't sure if that stare was an, oh, thank God there's help, or an, at least I won't die alone. I started shouting out for my friends, or anyone really, screaming for someone to help. I grabbed my bag and pulled out some water and gave it to her, telling her that we were going to get her out of the woods. Thankfully, my friends had realized that I wasn't with them, and they'd come back down the trail stopping where they saw my bike parked. I heard Shelly shouting, asking where I was. I yelled back and asked them for help. The other three ran into the woods and were just as shocked as I was to see this poor lady. Curtis and I lifted her up to carry her back to the path, while Josh and Shelly said they were going to ride back down to get a hold of someone to get the medics, or someone, out to help her. The time that we sat there felt like forever. Giving this poor girl some water, some of the food that I had, 
trying to get her not to fall asleep, you know, just in case. It was a nightmare. The whole time, I tried to talk to her, ask her about herself, ask her about what happened. She said that her name was Sierra, but that she couldn't remember what had happened. I tried to ask her how long she'd been in the woods, and she asked me what day it was. When I told her it was Thursday, she stared at me and shook her head, once again saying that she couldn't remember what day it was that she'd gotten stuck out here. The whole conversation was so chilling, she couldn't remember anything about what happened when she'd gotten lost. She couldn't remember why she had gotten lost. She knew that she was out here, that she wasn't injured, and nothing out of the ordinary had happened. But the next thing she remembered was lying against the tree when I was standing there. There was a huge gap of time that, for her, was just... gone. After a little while, a pair of medics rode up to the trail where we were stationed, alongside our two friends. They asked us some questions about where we'd found her, if we'd given her anything, etc. I took the lead and explained everything, and they nodded along. One of them got on the radio and called it into base, and then mentioned that they were going to have a helicopter come in for a short-haul rescue. And they asked that we not be in the area so that they didn't have any issues with getting her out. They also asked that we head back down to the ranger station, and that they would meet us there for a full statement. That time that we sat there at the station, waiting for them to come back, it was agonizing. When they got back, they asked who found her. I raised my hand, saying that I had found her, and he looked me dead in the eyes, saying that she wanted him to thank me for saving her life. And he then said that me finding her was what had literally just saved her life. He mentioned that she was closer to death than we thought, that if we'd kept going like we planned, she likely would have died within the afternoon. I asked if she was able to tell them anything about what had happened to her, but he confirmed that she was still lost for what happened, and that it's likely that she would just remember later, which then restored a lot of my hope as to whether or not she would survive. Saying that she would remember later told me that he fully expected her to live. And that's the story of the craziest summer my group of friends has ever had. The only time we went to a national park, and the only time that we ever did a group biking excursion. I never heard from Sierra again, and I can only hope that she made a full recovery. I will never forget that look in her eyes, I will never forget her weak voice, and the way she looked like a shell of who she likely was. I'm glad that we saved her, but I always freak out mentally about that fact that we all almost just kept going. So, this was something that I witnessed two years ago. I still don't understand what happened, and I think that's why it stuck with me even more, not having those answers. Anyways, here goes. It was early December, as I had been delaying my holiday shopping. We actually still have a decent mall in my area that's typically pretty busy. 
I prefer going there when I have shopping to do for multiple people, as I can usually buy for everyone there. I went alone this time around, hoping for less distractions. When I'm with others, I tend to talk a lot and lose direction, possibly forgetting things. I hadn't quite been in the holiday spirit that year, so I wanted to get everything done and over with in one day. Anyways, I started down my list and after getting through about four stores, the hunger pangs started reminding me that I didn't have breakfast. So, I thought that I would treat myself to lunch in the food court before I continued. I found myself a spot after ordering and sat down, waiting to be called. While I was waiting, I started reading an ebook on my phone and continued reading it as I ate. I was at a point in the book where I didn't want to stop reading, and had successfully zoned out the world around me in that brief moment. It was once I finished the book that the world came back to me. I started looking around, just to watch people and to judge how busy it had gotten, when I noticed one guy in particular sitting at another nearby table. Something about him caught my attention, and was telling me that I should keep an eye on him. He was a little on the older side, but I would say no older than 50s. I'm not the best at guessing age, but with him it was a bit more difficult. His build, movement, and lack of visible wrinkles made me think that he wasn't very old, but even with his mask on, I could tell that he had a full salt and pepper beard. His hair was short and thinning, but scruffy-looking, and also had the salt-and-pepper look to it. I guess that was my main reason for thinking he was older. But his looks weren't really what caught my attention. It was his actions. He was hunched over a small laptop, seemingly engrossed in it. I watched as he would get close to it, squinting, and then he would back up and look around the food court. When he looked around, he seemed to have this restless energy about him, like he was anxiously waiting for something, or someone, maybe. I didn't think much of it, just telling myself it was someone probably doing some kind of work, and maybe they realized the mall was a bad choice for that. There was nothing else substantial going on, and I knew I needed to finish my list, so I threw away my trash and continued on. I think it took me a few more hours to get through the rest of my list, as well as looking at a few things for myself when I was ready to go. However, I wanted to get one more thing. I personally cannot resist Cinnabon, so I had to get myself a treat for the road. As I made my way back to the food court, I looked around as I waited and saw the same guy from earlier was at that same table doing the same thing he was when I first spotted him. But this time, he now looked more stressed, and being closer to him, based on where I was standing, I could see the dark bags under his eyes. He looked very exhausted. It caught my attention because he had to have been there for the last four hours or so. He was clearly tired, so what was he doing there? Why not just go home and rest? Curiosity got the best of me, so I wanted to try to peek and see what he was looking at or doing on his laptop. 
I started walking casually towards the trash can, conveniently behind him, but I was distracted when I saw him quickly look to the right, pushing his chair out some. It startled me a bit, thinking maybe he realized what I was doing, until I noticed the direction in which he was looking. As I followed his gaze, I saw a group of teenage girls walking by, laughing and chatting away. Looking around, I couldn't see anything else that he could have been staring at. There was a shopping kiosk that was there the whole time, and it didn't make noise or light up. And there really weren't any other people near the girls that he could have been looking at instead. That kind of made the situation turn for me. This middle-aged man stopped in his tracks to watch these girls, without taking his eyes off of them. He closed his laptop, and he quickly stood up, causing the chair to screech. I grabbed my order and haphazardly stacked it on top of my bags inside my shopping caddy, now more invested in this situation than my own belongings. By the time I did this, the man grabbed the laptop, putting it under his arm, and started to quickly walk towards the girls. Something was telling me that I needed to follow him, because if I didn't, something bad could happen. The girls had a head start, being pretty far ahead, followed by the man, maybe about two stores behind them, and then I was close behind him with my phone out, ready to either record something or call 911. I can't explain why I didn't call for help before, other than just wanting to know what he was going to do. I didn't think he had a weapon on him, as he wasn't wearing a big jacket, just a sweater with a scarf so I wanted to find out what was really going on here. As the girls slipped into one of the stores, the man stopped and slowly paced nearby. I rolled over towards a nearby map to hopefully make it look like I wasn't following this guy, but then I saw him start to walk slower towards the store. I watched from where I was as the girls walked out of the store, looking in each other's bags, the man quickly picked up his pace until one of the girls noticed him. They were all wearing masks, but I could tell the girl went from smiling to a more serious look. She then nudged another girl, motioning to the man now approaching them. The other girl looked shocked when she saw this guy, and while I couldn't see the guy's face, he did put his hands out in front of him, almost as if in a way to say, stay calm, or someone trying to explain themselves. As everything around me seemed to slow, I watched the man reach into his pants pocket and pull out a piece of paper. He unfolded it a few times and then held it up to the girls, gently shaking the paper. Then, what I didn't expect. The girl he seemed to be directing his words to pulled down her mask and had a look of shock on her face. I watched as her expression softened, and she shook her head. Then the man's shoulder slumped, as if he had just given up. After a few more words, the guy shoves the paper back in his pocket, and before he walks away, the girl reaches into her purse and hands the man something. As he takes it from her, he looks around as if to see who may have seen this, and quickly puts it in his pocket too. Afterwards, the girls and the man part ways, 
with him walking back in my direction and then past me. I watched as he went to a bench, sat down, and just stared forward at nothing in particular. The girls had already walked off, maybe a little less cheerful than when they started. This did not play out at all like what I expected, but I still have no idea what I witnessed. What was on the paper that he showed the girls? Why did one of them look so concerned, yet the other girl seemed shocked and almost as if she recognized him? And why did whatever was said seem to ultimately crush this man? I know that I probably could have approached the girls and asked them what it was about, but I thought that that would just be too awkward and nosy. I'm also a guy, so... I didn't want to be the creep in this situation, so I didn't even consider that an option. I know that this may not necessarily be creepy, but the eeriness of the situation and the unanswered questions make me think that you would be interested in this too. Besides, maybe others will have some theories as well. I still have no answers, and of course, I haven't seen the man or girl since. In the end, I just hope that everyone is okay. Hello, Raven. I hope the story is good enough for your school stories. It is. So, in school, I was bullied a lot. I was a chronic new kid that was chubby and tall, and this seems to be the target for bullies. This was when I was in middle school, so early 90s, and I was living in northern Nevada. To get to the story, I was about 12 and 200 pounds. So, yeah, bully magnet. There was one kid that hated me. He was the kind of guy that loved to intimidate everyone. He was big enough that he even scared the teachers. It was split up into periods with different subjects taught per hour. This bully, let's call him Chad, decided that I was the one that he wanted to cheat off of in math. This was not a good idea. I have never been good at math. I was barely passing, like every little bit of extra credit was keeping me passing. Chad would sit next to me and copy off of my work, and then when he would get the grade back, he would beat the crap out of me after school. This was extremely stressful, and I didn't know what to do. Now, my brother was eight years older than me, and I asked him for advice. He told me to stand my ground, and that was it. Not how to stand my ground, not where to stand, nothing. Not much help there, so I asked my friends. Hmm. Not much help there either. They were all terrified of Chad. Now, let me explain Chad a little bit more. Chad was 16 to my 12. He had failed enough that he could drive himself to middle school. He had an after-school job working at some ranches. So, he was also buff. Like, high school weightlifter buff. There was no way that I could take this guy no matter how hard I fought back. So not knowing what to do, I got mad. I had always had a temper problem, 
there's a baby picture of me trying to punch my brother. I couldn't be more than a year old in that picture. My mom had told me to hold my temper because that was the only reason my brother picked on me. He loved the reaction. I figured Chad was the same way. I had not been giving him any reaction. I took my lumps as best I could and just walked off when he was done. This time, though, when Chad came to beat me, I put my back to the wall and decided to tell him off. Putting your back to a wall is a bad idea. When he hauled off and punched me, my head bounced off the wall. That really hurt, like I should have had a serious head wound. When I saw his fist coming again, I dodged. I moved my head enough just to the side so that he hit the wall. Something hit me below my eye, and I heard a brutal scream. When I looked at Chad, his face was contorted and his arm was deformed. He'd broken his own arm trying to hit me. He was going to hit me hard enough to break bones. Like, holy crap. He just looked over at me and said, This isn't the last time that we do this. After that, I started getting physically fit, not wanting to be the target anymore. Chad came back to school, but with his arm in a cast. He wasn't willing to fight at the time. What he saw, though, was me slowly getting more confident. I didn't manage to lose any weight, but I did manage to move the weight around. I got stronger and better. Mostly, though, I got confident. I got more sure of myself, and it got to the point where I was not bullied anymore. When Chad got the cast off, he met me at the same place. I put my back against the wall again, only this time, I was smiling. I knew that I couldn't beat him, but I knew now that I could hurt him. I asked him if he wanted to break his arm again against the wall. He hesitated, and then walked off. I was no longer worth it, I guess. Heck, I was willing to fight him. I knew that I would lose, but I just wanted him to know that I was ready this time. We avoided each other after that. He left me alone, and I left him alone. Rumors got spread that I broke his arm, so the other bullies left me alone too. I never corrected the story, but I didn't encourage it either. I just said nothing and left it to the others. That about covers it. Sorry for rambling. I hope that you enjoy the story, and thank you again for the opportunity to tell my story. Hello. I wanted to share an experience that I had when I was a preteen that was pretty creepy, and also taught me a valuable life lesson early on in my life. I believe it was 2005. My twin sister Katie and I were the typical young girls. We liked to do our hair and makeup, hang out with friends, and most importantly, we liked to shop, and especially at the mall. Our local mall was our favorite place to go and hang out, even if we didn't have money to spend. It was seriously some of the best times that we had. This event happened on one of those shopping days. 
Katie and I would often go together with our mutual friends, but this time, she wasn't going with me, as she hadn't been feeling well. So it was just going to be me and two of my friends. My friend Amber's mom picked me up, and we met our other friend Savannah there. Our day there started out pretty typical. We probably walked the whole floor talking before we even decided to go into the shops. Most of the time, we didn't have much money to spend, so we would try on outfits, pretending like we had an infinite wallet, and would walk out with wishes and oh wells. We more so just enjoyed being able to have some independence, as we walked around by ourselves. As we were walking through the shops, I noticed an older guy sitting on a bench, seemingly watching us intently. At first, I brushed it off, thinking that he was just another judgmental adult who didn't like our choice of clothing and style. I had short, pink hair, Savannah had hers half-shaved, and Amber was just in her normal emo garb. So, yes, we kind of stood out, but we loved the way that we looked. We were also used to getting stared at, but it normally didn't bother us. So... We continued on our wandering spree as normal. However, that feeling of being watched continued to linger. It felt different than the normal stares that we got, and it was making me feel uncomfortable. So, I would look around the stores, and outside of it, and I would see none other than that same guy that I saw earlier just staring at us. I couldn't understand why he was not only staring at us, but obviously following us at this point. No matter where we went, it seemed like this guy was also within my view, but also trying to keep his distance. But the more I thought about it, the more I started to entertain the idea that maybe this guy was some kind of undercover security or something, and he was just doing a crappy job. This thought made sense to me, but also angered me, as I assumed he thought we must have been thieves, or up to no good, since we weren't buying anything. So, in hopes of getting him off our backs, I decided that I should buy something. I bought a cheap pair of earrings and a little keychain, thinking that my plan was genius and that he would just go away. That, obviously, didn't happen. This guy continued to follow us, and again was making me feel uncomfortable. I hadn't mentioned him to my friends up to that point, but now fed up with it, I finally asked my friends about him. They did not make me feel any better about this situation. They said they also saw the guy, but as they walked around, they noticed the only person his attention was on was me. They didn't mention this to each other until I brought it up, thinking the same thing. That he was just being judgmental, until I brought it up. They watched as he would crane his neck to keep me in his view as I walked around. Now, creeped out, we thought up a scheme to hopefully lose him. We decided that we would all go into a store that he would have no business going in, so we headed for a store dedicated to young girls. We all walked in, and one of my friends said that he did seem to stop at the entrance. 
we agreed that we would try to spend a decent amount of time in there, hoping that he would just move along. After some time, I think we were in there for about half an hour, trying things on and making a purchase on some popcorn to share, we left the store. Savannah and Amber walked out first, thinking, if anything, I would be safer alone in the store. When I didn't immediately see the guy, I walked out and directly to my friends. As I approached them, I heard someone yell out, Hey! I turned around to look, and it was that same guy, now approaching me, with a happy look on his face. I stood there frozen, not knowing what to do, and when he got closer, he berated me for not saying hello sooner, or introducing him to my friends. I was bewildered. I had never seen this guy in my life, and I had no idea who he was. I still didn't know what to say or how to respond, so as I stood motionless with a deer-in-the-headlights look, the guy grabbed my arm with one hand and had his other arm out, like he was trying to pull me into a hug and still smiling. I started pulling back, struggling to break from his grip, but he only squeezed tighter, now hurting my arm. My friends immediately came to my defense, yelling at him to let me go. As he loosened his grip, his face dropped to a frown, and he shouted, But I love you, Katie! I was again caught speechless. All of us were. But then I muttered that I wasn't Katie. I didn't know what was happening at the time, so I just asked, How do you know my sister? His saddened look quickly changed to confusion or annoyance, maybe as he began to doubt me. He accused me of lying and began shouting that I had led him on and broken his heart, now getting the attention of others. The guy quickly noticed this and backed off, walking away with his head down. There was an adult that worked in the store that we had just left that approached us, asking us if we knew that guy, and we explained what had just happened. They suggested that we come back in the store so they could contact security, and told us to call our parents. Once our parents and security arrived, we explained what all had unfolded during what was supposed to be a simple trip to the mall. Security and the police never saw the guy after that, but it wouldn't be the last time that we heard from him. When we got back home, my parents called my sister out of her room and made me explain to her what happened that day. As I recalled my experience, I watched the color drain from her face, and her expression changed from one of confusion to shock. When I finished, my parents asked my sister if she was familiar with the guy that matched the description, and why he knew her, and said what he said. That's when everything finally came out, and made sense. My sister broke down, and explained how she had been frequenting games with popular chat rooms, and talking to people. One person was particularly interested in talking to her, and did so every time she was in the game. It seemed light-hearted and friendly at first, until they took it to emails. 
The guy claimed to be 16, and we were 15 at the time, so she didn't see anything wrong with it. She shared a photo of herself. It was a normal one, nothing inappropriate, like a school picture. Because she had pink hair at the time, the guy she was talking to delayed sending her photos saying he was ugly, and didn't want to scare her off. She convinced him that she wouldn't judge, and when he finally sent the pictures, she could tell that he was a lot older than 16. The guy was clean-shaven, including his head. He tried to tell my sister that he just looked older than 16 because he had cancer, and that's also why he was bald. My sister, still wanting to not be mean, just assumed he was lonely and wanted friends but she slowly distanced herself from him, knowing that she probably shouldn't be talking to someone so much older. But the emails from him just kept coming. He slowly threw the comments of how beautiful she was, and how he wanted to meet her and make him the luckiest guy alive. When he kept asking her to meet up, she always told him that she couldn't. That day, she had no idea he was going to be at the mall, nor did she have any idea how he knew to show up at that mall. She legitimately wasn't feeling well, and had no plans on going with us that day, and after my parents checked her emails, they confirmed that she never mentioned it to him either. She did, unfortunately, tell the guy the school that we went to, and that she liked to go to that mall, but that was it. It's still a terrifying thought to this day that that guy may have been walking around our school, or even the mall daily, trying to find her. That's exactly what we assumed happened, too. The only picture Katie had sent of her was with her pink hair. However, once it faded, she tried purple, and I ended up using her leftover pink. So, with me now having pink hair, and us being identical twins... I could see how he could mistake us, not knowing our differences that made us, well, us. My sister got in trouble for sending pictures and giving a stranger personal information, but my dad also took over her email to lure the guy out. And it worked. My dad proposed a meetup, but the guy wanted it to be in a more secluded area due to the event that unfolded at the mall. When they met up, my dad called the cops once he spotted him, and he told them to get there quickly before he did something that he regretted. Years later now, and I don't think my parents are completely honest as to what all went down there, but what I do know is that the guy was arrested and went away for a long time. It was definitely an eye-opener for both of us, and as I mentioned in the beginning, we learned a valuable lesson. We were heavily monitored with online stuff, but I can honestly say that I appreciated it. Running into a grown man that I had never met, him trying to pull me away from my friends, saying that he loved me, it was all terrifying. And I hate to think about what could have happened if I was alone, or if my sister was there. This happened in middle school. 
Back then, I had taken a home economics class with Miss Clark. Home ec was a boring class. A lot of really basic stuff. But there was like half a quarter where we got to learn actual cooking skills, and I was pretty eager for that. Because I loved cooking at the time. Ms. Clark was a stern and older woman, but was honestly more bark than bite. And while she would yell at the students, she would typically never follow through with any of her threats. And maybe if that weren't the case, then this all wouldn't have happened. But it did, and nothing can change it. For the most part, the cooking parts of Homek, we were doing more baking than anything. And we didn't need to use any utensils that could be considered more dangerous than a whisk. However, during this particular week, one of the lessons was knife safety, and we had to use larger knives to cut and chop vegetables. We were divided into groups, and we had four stations that were each assigned with their own recipes. I was in a group with Tommy, a girl named Emma, and Troy. Now, Troy was a bit of an oddball. He was actually the class clown always doing stupid things to seek attention, but his antics would often go beyond what was normal or safe. He would push things further and further until he actually got in trouble, because he thought it was funny. In most cases, it was annoying, but not a huge deal. In this situation, however, it became a major problem. Our station had to make a vegetable stir-fry, which meant a lot of chopping and slicing. Troy was in charge of cutting carrots, but he was obviously getting bored with it. As we were all doing our parts, he picked up his knife and began swinging it around in the air. Look at me, I'm a ninja chef! He yelled out with his eyes wide and looking like an absolute idiot. I laughed nervously, but it was clear that this was not okay behavior. He kept swinging the knife like he was fighting off some enemies in a video game or something. He kept swinging closer and closer to all of us, which definitely freaked all of us out. Troy, cut that out right now, or you'll be out of this class for good. Ms. Clark's voice boomed out from the other side of the room. Troy froze and had a look of defiance on his face. He lowered the knife and muttered something under his breath but the warning seemed to have done its job. For a while, things went back to normal. We all continued our cooking, Troy even went back to cutting up the carrots, but he was clearly unhappy with being told to stop playing his little game, and I could tell that he wasn't done. The second that Ms. Clark turned her back and was assisting another group, Troy grabbed the knife again and he starts swinging it around again making what I guess were ninja noises. This time it really wasn't funny. It was downright terrifying. As if in slow motion, I saw Emily walk past Troy, her back turned, and she was completely unaware of the danger. Troy's arms swung wide, and then the unthinkable happened. The knife connected with Emily's face, and more specifically, her eye. A scream ripped through the room, causing everyone to jump. Emily's hand flew to her face, blood running in between her fingers. 
chaos ensued. Miss Clark rushed to Emily's aid, her face pale and her hands shaking. Troy dropped the knife and his face went pale as the realization of what he'd done slowly dawned on him. The school nurse was called, and Emily ended up being rushed to the hospital. Troy was taken away by the school's security officer. He actually looked more shocked about what had happened than most of the class. We were all left in the room with a bunch of half-cooked food and blood spotting the floor where Emily had walked. We just sat there in silence. That image, though, the visual of Emily getting hit with that knife, and the sound of that scream that she let out, oh, those were haunting. In the end, Emily actually lost her eye. Troy was expelled, and none of us ever saw him again. When Emily was able to come back, she was a good sport about having to rock an eye patch, claiming that it was going to be the newest fashion statement, but it was such an unfortunate situation, one that absolutely could have been avoided had Troy not been an idiot. The home ec class wasn't the same after that. Knives were handled with trepidation, and we were no longer allowed to be split into our own groups. We did everything as a demonstration in front of the whole class, one at a time instead. I think everyone learned a harsh lesson that day, about how fun and danger share a very fine line, and how quickly things can go wrong. I have never liked the outdoors or being in nature. I get a lot of crap for this. I prefer to stay inside in the nice AC with all the comforts of home, rather than go outside where there's nothing but bugs, the heat, and people. I appreciate beautiful nature pictures and scenery, but that doesn't mean that I want to be out in it. My sister, however, is the complete opposite of me. She loves the outdoors and always tries to go hiking whenever she can. I like seeing the pictures and hearing about her adventures, but that is as far as I will go. But for her birthday, she asked me to go on an easy hike with her. We have different ideas about what an easy hike would be. <laughs> she doesn't really ask much of me, so I told her that I would give it a go, but to understand that I might not be able to do it. We were walking along the path, and we stopped regularly to take breaks. It was a beautiful place, but my feet hurt. It just wasn't my thing. We had one more trail to go down before we'd go down another one in order to get back to the car park. My sister was talking about how we should do this again sometime. I just wanted to get through the day. We weren't alone on the trails. There were families and small kiddos walking by, couples, older people, and even the odd occasional single hiker. What I'm trying to say is that this trail really isn't in the middle of nowhere, and generally has the reputation for being safe. I hurt my ankle somehow. I don't know how, but it ached. So my sister and I sat down for a while, chatted, etc., before we knew it, it was dusk, so the sky had that pink hue to it, and it was colder at that point. 
we got up and started walking home. My legs and ankle really hurt, so I was limping. My sister walked beside me, and I knew that she was itching to walk faster. She's one of those speedy people who like to really walk fast everywhere. We heard rustling from the trees, and we froze. Neither of us knew what it was, and we held each other's hands, only for a deer to jump through. Like a cheesy part in some horror movie. We laughed. It was kind of ridiculous. And then the birds and just... I guess the forest, I guess, really just went quiet. It was weird. My sister stopped and looked around to see what was causing it. She leaned closer to me and whispered that we had to go. Now. I wasn't going to argue with her. Instantly, she was on her feet and she pulled me up quickly. I asked her what was wrong and she just told me not to worry. Just to come with her and not to waste any time. We walked at a fast pace. As fast as I could go with my injury in order to get back to the car park and she would not tell me what was wrong. I didn't ask again, and I figured that she would just tell me when we were safe. She kept looking to see what was up there, and as we were getting close to the car, she told me to hurry up and just get straight in the car when it was unlocked. When we got back to the car, we got in right away, and the moment we were inside, we locked the doors. Normally, when we got back to the car after doing something, we would just talk or relax. This time she drove off and didn't answer my questions until we drove to a local McDonald's. She pulled into the parking spot, and her hands were shaking. I gave her a moment before I asked her what had happened. She told me that she saw someone watching us in the forest from behind a tree. At first, I thought that she was overreacting, because there were a lot of people there. She then told me that he was naked, and he had a knife in his hand, and that was why she told me that we needed to go. I asked her how she knew that he had a knife, and she said that she knew it because it got bright and was reflecting, and admitted that she really couldn't be sure, but it was better to get out of there before it got dark anyways, than to be out there when it was nighttime. So, maybe we were being stalked by some psycho, or a murderer, I don't know. I haven't gone hiking since, and my ankle has gotten better. She's gone hiking again with friends, never going alone, but she has never tried to go back to that forest. She told me that she doesn't want anyone to stop her from enjoying nature. I have a story that some people may read and think it's not scary in the traditional sense, and it's really not, but it's still a nightmare situation to be in, and it's a story that I want to tell, so here goes. I used to volunteer for a local search and rescue team near a prominent national park. Our team was flush with medics, experienced hikers, and even a couple canine units that could be called in if necessary. We weren't typically needed, but when we were, we gave it our all, and we absolutely saved the lives of a number of people out there in the woods. What follows 
it is one of the most harrowing events that I have ever lived through, both as a search and rescue member and in my life in general. It happened on a morning that was colder than normal. It was late November though, so we knew that we were going to start to get that wintry mix in the near future. The sky was dark, even in the late morning, the clouds blocking out the sun making it feel even colder out in the forests. We'd gotten a call that we needed to do a full sweep of part of the trails, as there was a hiker that had been missing for around three days, and each hour that passed made us all feel more and more desperate. With the cold coming in like it was, being out in the elements like this, depending on where he was, things could quickly go from scary to tragic. The area where he was thought to be was rugged. A lot of steep cliffs with some horrifying drop-offs. A lot of terrain that was working against us. By the time that night fell on that first day of searching, the temperature had dropped sharply, and the sky decided to open up with some freezing rain and a bit of snow, which was going to make the terrain even harder to navigate. Our team started considering the possibility that this was no longer going to be a rescue mission, but a recovery mission. On that second day, one of the canine units had actually picked up a faint scent near a treacherous ravine. We followed, all of us getting that hit of adrenaline with that growing sense of dread crawling all over our brains. And then we found him. He was lying at the bottom of a cliff, twisted and broken, his face pale and his eyes wide open in a look of sheer terror. We were all pretty visibly shaken as we approached. Even professionals get scared as things come to a head like this. It was pretty clear that he was severely injured. His leg was visibly broken in ways that I can't explain. His body was covered in bruises and cuts, and he was looking pretty bad. We all jumped into action working to stabilize him. At first, things appeared to be heading towards a better outcome. We had found him. He was still alive. And if we all worked our back ends off, we could get him out of here and he would have a fighting chance. But when we all got to him and started to work, things took a sharp turn. He was smiling at us, but his breathing started to get shallow. His pulse was weakening, and his eyes started to fall vacant. We all knew what was happening, and we did everything we could to keep him with us until the helicopter could get to us. We all worked to keep him going, to warm him up and keep his heart beating, but we couldn't. The man saw us. He knew that we were there, and I can only imagine that he thought that we were going to be able to save him, but we were too late, probably by no more than a few minutes. I will always have those thoughts, that if we had just woken up 20 minutes earlier, if we ran just that slight bit faster, climbed down with a little less regard for our safety, we may have saved him. I will always have that in my mind, that this man was seconds away from being saved but had slipped away, that no matter how much he wanted to hold on, no matter how much he thought that we would be saving his life, his body just couldn't take it 
any longer. His body was carried away, and we were all left to face the unforgiving wilderness, now tinged with the sadness that we, as a unit, had failed. Unfortunately, the story is just a reminder that there's not always a happy ending, and even those innocent little outings can turn into something so much more serious without warning. Ultimately, nature has the final say in how things go, and all we can do is try our best, try to be as careful as we can, and try to prepare for the unexpected. And the last thing that I want to say is, be careful out there. We can do a lot to save people, but there are times where things do not go as planned. Back whenever I was in high school, there was one section of the school that I hated being anywhere near. It always gave me the creeps. It was in an older part of the school, and it was in the lower section, so the lights were way more dim than anywhere else in the entire school. It almost looked like a hallway from the back rooms, to be honest with you. Dim, off-white paint, locked doors on both sides and seemingly always empty. I was thankful that I rarely had to go to that section of the school, but there was a point where I had to spend a good amount of time down there, and I swear that some of the scariest stuff happened. Near the middle of my junior year, our school decided to hold some after-hours study programs for students so that we could get through our midterms. They started this about a month before the midterms, and being the person I was, I decided I would take full advantage of it, mostly because I was god-awful at pre-calc. Most nights, there would be other people around, friends that I could talk to when walking down that way, toward where they were holding the study halls, so I never felt too uneasy about staying later. But, as is the cliché, there was one evening that was different. I was really head down in my math and listening to some music, trying to really wrap my head around rational functions and such, and I had lost track of time. I paused and looked up at the clock, and much to my surprise, it was almost 8pm, and the study hall was empty. The other students were gone and the teacher was just sitting in his office staring at his computer screen, looking like he was ready to go. I hastily packed up my stuff and headed out of the study hall, thanking the teacher for their help. He reminded me to make sure that I locked the door behind me as I was the last one out. That's when I realized I needed to go up to get my jacket from my locker, which meant that I needed to go through that hallway and up the stairs, instead of just going out the back exit. I sucked it up, and decided that I would just go through the creepy hallway because I was at school. I was 17, and there was no way I was going to let something like the dark scare me. This was a dumb choice on my part. I got about halfway down the hallway, and I swear I heard someone say my name. I turned around thinking that it was the teacher that had been helping me, calling me for whatever reason, but when I turned to look, no one was there. 
I stood there confused, but shrugged it off, and turned to head the rest of the way down the hallway. And I swear, when I turned back around, I saw what looked like a living shadow standing at the end of the hallway. I don't mean that I just saw a shadow. I mean that I saw a person that was a shadow. Or a shadow that was a person. I'm not really sure how I should say that. I watched as this person, Shadow, walked out of the hallway and into the part of the building that I was going towards. When I saw that, and added that to hearing my name, I decided to say, nope, and I ran back down the hallway to the back door. I was not going to face whatever paranormal nightmare was taunting me that night. I'm not one to shout about how a place is haunted or whatever, but what I saw was not of this world. That shadow thing was not an actual person. I went to a few more study sessions after that, but I was never the last one out, and I was out of that building before 7pm. I also did everything I could to avoid that hallway, because I didn't want to see whatever that was again. I never mentioned it to anyone, because they would likely just laugh at me and tell me that I was seeing things, or I guess manifesting my own fears into some kind of hallucination. But I know what I saw. I can't explain it, but whatever it was, I instinctively knew to be terrified of it. Way back whenever I was in elementary school, we had an event that, back then, actually scared the hell out of me. Mostly because it was creepy and unexpected. It was actually on my birthday, that much I remember, which meant that it was October 14th. I can even remember that it was during social studies, because I was insanely bored out of my mind and I'm pretty certain that I was starting to fall asleep. I remember jumping when the loudspeaker popped on, making that painful crackling feedback noise, and then the principal's voice came over sounding a bit unnerved. That's when we got the alert, one that I genuinely didn't expect. Attention all students and staff, we are on lockdown, this is not a drill. Please remain calm and follow all lockdown procedures. Our teacher immediately went and shut the door, locking it, and turned off the light. She then motioned us all to the back of the room, trying to control the fear and chaos that was starting to erupt. We all knew what lockdown meant, and I think, even at that age, we were all aware that a threat in the school could mean any number of things. As we all stayed cowering in the back corner of the room, one of the other kids made a comment about how many cop cars were outside. We all watched as the officers suited up and pulled out what I think was riot gear, basically. I was young, so I just remembered them having really big guns and a shield from the trunk of their car. I think something about this made it all worse. The big guns made my mind think that there was a gunman in the school, and that he was going to come barging through the door at literally any second. I kept thinking that they needed to hurry up, 
that if they kept going so slow, things were going to get really bad. After a while longer, minutes that felt like a slow and agonizing eternity, the principal came back over and informed us that we were still under lockdown. But they mentioned that the police were in the building and were in control of the situation, but that we needed to stay locked down until we were released. Of course, we were still on edge. A group of 20 kids huddled in the back corner of a classroom, thinking we were going to die, or witness some kind of gory scene when we got out of lockdown. All we could do was wait. Of course, none of that happened. I'm still here, and thankfully not terribly scarred. Seeing some messed up situation, then walking out, but the real situation was actually pretty terrifying. Apparently, there was a man that was fleeing from the police, and he'd run into the school through the front door, which at the time wasn't set up with a remote lock or anything. He'd run into the building and straight into the gym, which was right by the front door. Thankfully, at the time that he entered, there were no classes in the gym, but the teacher was in there, and he immediately pulled his gun and took her hostage. He took her into her office, and he held her there, claiming that if the cops tried anything, he would shoot her. The cops had been chasing this guy in connection with a series of armed robberies. He'd actually hit three different gas stations overnight and into the morning, and he'd taken refuge in our school of all places. While we were all sitting in our classrooms, ignorance to the reality of what was happening, the cops were yelling at this guy trying to get him to let our gym teacher go, and trying to end this whole situation with nobody dying. I don't know how, but they did get him to give himself up without hurting her, thankfully. This was the only lockdown that I ever had to live through, and for that, I am thankful. I feel awful for our gym teacher, and she took some time off after this, but I'm also thankful that there wasn't a class in there at the time, because if there were, this guy with a gun would have had a lot more options as far as hostages went, and I'm not sure how the police would have been able to handle this dude threatening to shoot a bunch of children if they didn't let him go. I think we were all a bit traumatized by this, because it was scary, but it could have gone much, much worse. Hey there, friends. I hope that you enjoyed this collection of scary stories on this episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. If you did, make sure that you follow the podcast on whatever platform that you're utilizing. And if the platform you are on has a rate the podcast option, please consider doing so. Those ratings push the podcast into the algorithm and we all know how the algorithm controls everything, so yeah. I also do have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash asthereavendreams, you can support the channel further. For as little as a dollar a month, you can get early access to all of my content in audio format. 
The content's a little different as it's based on what I upload to my YouTube side, but it's the same stories. Just in different collections of stories than how they're presented here. Speaking of stories, if you have one you would like to submit to me, please go to asthereavendreams.com and click the button in the middle of the screen that says Submit Your Story. Now, these stories are mostly sourced by listeners, so let's keep the podcast alive. If you've got one, I'd love to read it. Anyways, friends, I hope you're all having a beautiful day and a lovely week. And I hope I see you again very soon. But until then, remember you're loved, you're valid, you're important. You're the best you that you can be, never forget it. And until next time, much love and sleep well. <laughs>